0: Hey, everybody, this is David Howard Thornton, Art the Clown himself, from the upcoming Terrifier 2, and you're listening to Fractured Listens. Kill you later!
1: <laughs> What's going on, and welcome to Fractured Listens. I'm your host, Luke Bailey. This month, we're joined by the man behind the mask, actor David Howard Thornton. Join us for an intimate discussion about the evolution of Art the Clown, as well as the latest installment of Terrifying. One of the things that interested me about your journey is your background in comedy. It didn't surprise me, Mm -hmm. but it interested me in, uh, you know, I I was curious as to where it starts, and I wondered if you could take me into some of those foundational moments in the beginning. When does it start, and what what was that time like for you as a growing period creatively?
0: Well, I, I, I like to say, like, I come from a funny family anyways, especially on my mom's side of the family. So they're, they're just family pranksters and stuff like that. So that was already just, I guess, inherited in me. <laughs> in me. So I I had that, but I'm like, um, yeah, my my parents and my grandparents gave me a great appreciation of, of, you know, great films in general, but especially comedies. At a very early age, I was watching the old black and white, you know, silent film era and also like Three Stooges, merch Brothers type of films and then like my aunt gifted me a box set of uh, Mr. Bean videos when I was a teenager and I just devoured those. I would watch them just religiously over and over again because I loved his style of comedy I, I, and that's also the same time like Jim Carrey first came out and was really big so it was like I was really into physical comedy so I wanted to learn as much as I could and so yeah I would just watch them over and over and over and over and over and over and just learn from watching that and then I started doing community theater and a lot of children's theater, because children are really into physical comedy. And so that's where I just really honed my skills, was doing all that, you know, just taking what I was learning from watching the grapes that came before me and adapting it for myself. Monday, after Coronation Street, a new Mr.
1: Bean. Rowan Atkinson causing mayhem at the funfair. But why has he brought the baby? Well, speaking of foundations, let's talk about these foundations and origins of you being offered for the first time the role for art. Who would have been some of those comedic voices shaping your direction and tone as you're going into this role?
0: Oh, boy, so many. <laughs> I mean, definitely like the greats like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and oh, especially Harpo Marx. I mean, I always say like art is basically the bastard child of harpo marx and uh freddy krueger or he's an evil version of mr bean so, so it's like there those are definitely big influences on me but i mean there's also of course doug jones who's an amazingly talented physical actor i just and I, i've actually had the the privilege of meeting him in person and hanging out with him and struck up a friendship with him. So he's he's a great person to learn from. I've always kind of modeled my career off of him. And there was, of course, Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. But um, I, I would say probably my biggest mentor that I was I was so lucky to be able to really study under for five years was Stefan Carl. Well, sometimes he's known as Steph Carl Stephenson. And he was mainly known for playing Robbie Rotten on the show Lazy Town, for a while, hmm. and he he's a he was a tremendously talented Icelandic actor that was professionally trained in physical comedy and clowning and all that. And I I had the privilege of being his understudy for five years as the Grinch, with uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas the musical. So Stefan was able to take everything that I had been. Learning myself for years because I had never had a teacher in in, in real a real life teacher that could actually train me in physical comedy. That's just hard to come by. And he was able to actually take me aside and say, "I like what you're doing. This is how you make it better." And so I had five years of that with him, and I I took a lot of what he taught me and put it into art. I, I mean, you can probably watch episodes of Lazy Town. And see a lot of Art the Clown or, or watch Terrifier and see a lot of Robbie Rotten in Art the Clown. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I'm oh, yeah. going to be watching it for those uh, moments and nuances now.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, 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 I, I, oddly enough, just went back the other night because I was, he unfortunately passed away from cancer four years ago. Oh. And so I was, I was kind of missing him the other day. It's was like, I, I just want to get some inspiration and, you know, just, you know, just see my old friend doing his thing again. So I watched some of his old footage again. And it was just like, it was, that's when I was like, ah, yeah, wow. I really took a lot of what he, he taught me and put it into art.
1: Five years is a long stretch. What are you learning during this period?
0: I mean, can you speak to some of those specifics? It's really, it was more about living in the moment and bringing attention to things. Cause that's like with, with clowning especially you have to um, bring extra attention to everything you do everything's bigger and broader so it's like it's not like it's hard to just say it out loud without demonstrating you know physically but it's like if if you're grabbing a cup of water in real life you just grab a cup of water if you're clowning you you acknowledge the water you, you see it you kind of react to it and then usually make some bigger gesture going just to grab it and you know it's, it's everything's more theatrical I guess you could say. That's interesting. You exaggerate the details. So it's about
1: exaggeration. Yes. So let's start from the beginning, speaking of details. How does the role for Terrifier come about?
0: Purely by luck. I had just gotten back from my last tour at Grinch, and I decided just to take four months off of waiting tables just to focus on acting and auditioning. Because I was like, yeah, I, I, was, I had discovered like during the my off season from Grinch that I was, I would just wait tables and rely on Grinch, you know, for the fall to just to do something. I was like, hey, I'm, this is five years of this. I, I need to start branching out and doing more things. And so I, I was, I was at the time I was really more focused on trying to get on Broadway and doing more Broadway tours. And I was in final callbacks for about four or five different Broadway tours and every single one of them fell through for one reason or another. And I was getting very discouraged because I was like, I am so close to getting something really good. I I just, I can taste it. And I had never done film work really. I had maybe done some like extra work and that was it, but I had always wanted to do film, but it's kind of hard to get into film work if you're not SAG. And so I was like, well, you know, who knows if this will ever come along. But I came across this audition notice on a, a website looking for tall, skinny actors that have experience with physical comedy or clowning to play Art. And I already knew the character because I had seen All Hallows Eve and what Mike giannelli the original or the Clown, did with the character. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this character. There's. I remember watching it the first time i was like god there's so much i could do with this i i i I, there's something special with him i if if they just went a little bit further with this there's something mm, there's something good there so much potential and 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 so i saw that notice i'm like oh my god this is the chance this is the chance i gotta i gotta i gotta do this and it wasn't paying much at all low budget independent film but i didn't care because i was like you know what I need film experience this would be a great way to get my foot in the door in that realm so i can learn how everything is on a set versus being on stage and learn the lingo and learn all the intricacies involved with it all and, and this would be good for a demo reel but you know i was i was being honest with myself at the time it's like you know who knows that anything anything's going to come with this you know it's like you know it's just it's a very niche thing at the time because all hallows Eve was a, a a underground cult type of film at the time and I was like, you know what? Who cares? This is a great opportunity. Let's, let's do it. So I, I contacted my agents. They had me sent in, and I got it. The, so I was like went in and improvised my audition on the spot, which you can actually see online. It's, it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it got me the role. They, they basically asked me right there in the room if I could come back for a, a makeup test. So I, I basically knew right there that I had the role which is very unusual, especially for film, because usually you have to go back for multiple auditions. And they they just wanted me right then and there, I think. So that was great. It was was purely serendipitous, because if I had gotten any of those Broadway tours, I wouldn't have been able to either audition for Terrifier or or film it. So everything worked out the way it was supposed to. You just got to trust the fates sometimes. You're already familiar with Art the Clown,
1: you're already familiar as a fan of All Hallows Eve. I didn't realise until recently that between those two short films and All Hallows Mm -hmm. Eve is as little as 20 minutes of Art the Clown screen time. Can you share Mm -hmm. any moments and techniques that helped you to prepare to maximise this full potential with Terrifier being your first feature and unlock this potential you talk about?
0: Mm-hmm. well I, I think a lot of that came from a lot you know, Stefan because like I was I consulted him when I was cast with the role and I was like hey I, I just need some you know, inspiration here because this is and he's like well you know I've taught you a lot but you know it's like because awesome, we, we had that mutual love especially for, uh, uh, for you know, great physical comedians especially like Rowan Atkinson we, we both just love his style we, we would talk about him all the time how he was an influence on both of us. And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, if I went back, watched some more Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> and because that's the thing. It's like, you know, the thing was, I, when I went into the makeup test, I, I was able to really see what this makeup was going to be like. and Because, you know, a lot of silent characters in horror films especially, they're wearing a mask, mm. so you can't see their face. So and I was like, well, but the, the mask I had with Art is basic. is It's basically like his own skin. It's not a mask, really. It's that's right. supposed to be his face. So the the ma- the, the makeup I wear for him w- is very elastic and allows for that free range of mu- movement. Like when I went for my makeup test, I sat in front of the mirror for about thirty minutes. I think they probably thought I was in the bathroom doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm making faces. (laughs) Because that's what I like to do. Even when I was doing stage work, because I usually played some crazy characters that had really crazy makeup jobs. I always like when I have uh, interesting makeup, you know, done for a role, I like to sit from a mirror and see how everything reads. So I, I go to the extremes with my facial expressions just to see how everything works and how it all looks. And that's what I did with art. And I was like, okay, now I know how far i can go with things and that's the thing i realized like with with art since he does not speak he needs to convey his intent with his face and body and that's what i want to do it's like well this makeup allows for that so i i have to I, I have to do so much acting especially with my eyes right and and i, I was lucky with that makeup job because i was like oh this is great because i i can, you know, move my eyebrows around and stuff like that. So all the, you know, the, I, can, I can go from angry to confused, all that, and it totally, totally reads. And like that's what I really leaned into more. It's like, okay, uh, let's, let's really work with my facial expressions. And so what, I, what a, a thing that I do, even though I don't have spoken dialogue, I am saying lines in my head mm. while I'm reacting to everything. I don't say them out loud, no one knows what I'm thinking in my head, but I'm, it's giving me something to go off of, and that just helps my face organically just react to things. So that becomes a catalyst for
1: you to prepare and anticipate how you're going to, like you say, make the next expression, make the next mm-hmm. body movement. Correct. What kind of
0: lines are you thinking? Oh gosh! A lot of times it's just me giggling to myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's like, or he's just like, he just sees something. He's like, "Ooh!" He's just—it's very exaggerated. <laughs> I, I make the lines very exaggerated. It's like when he's pissed off at someone, I'm like cussing up a storm in my head. <laughs> like, he probably sounds like Yosemite Sam. Just red, Frank, you <laughs> <Just, laughs> thats great. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's even my lines are very exaggerated. So, <laughs> well, this is a
1: character who's initially played by somebody else. Are you feeling any pressure starting from scratch and playing a character that already had such a huge following prior? These are big shoes you're filling. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling <laughs> about this going in?
0: Oh, I was I was very intimidated at first because I knew that there was a solid fan base for the character already. And I'm a fanboy myself of other things, especially like the Joker. So like when I see other people's versions of the Joker, I'm very critical. Because mm. like to me, Mark Hamill's version and Cesar Romero's versions of the Joker are like the pinnacle. And it's just like, so I, I know how I am when I see other versions and I'm like, I don't like it. And I was like, oh God, all of my bitchiness, I guess you could say, about other people taking on roles that other people have played is going to come back and haunt me. <laughs> so I was like, oh God, I, I, I hope, that was one of my big concerns, like, I hope the fans like my interpretation of art. Because I know how how fans can be. <laughs> so I was very intimidated. about Because I, I wanted to stay as true as possible to what Mike did but build on top of that and bring my own characterization to it. Kind of like what Kane Hodder did with Jason. What if I guided this to your car? <laughs> what guy? The clown? Do you really think someone slashed my tires? Well, he knows this is your car. He saw us getting into it earlier. Hey! Handsome! Cut it out! But Fred wants your I dogger! Kill you! What is it Tara? Dawn and I are sort of stranded. She has a flat tire and no spare and I was kinda hoping you could pick us up. Did you think he was going to hack me up into little pieces or something?
1: What was the turning point for building and exploring this dichotomy between art's brutal sense of character and comedic sense of character?
0: Hmm. I, I, I think it's, it was the night that I was doing the, the, uh, the pizzeria scene hmm. because that's the scene where you see both aspects of the character. So that, doing those few nights that we're filming that, that's where I was really able to find that duality with him. And, and that 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 really helped <laughs> a, it, it just kind of clicked in place that night. And luckily that was early on in filming too so that was like oh no this is where he he sits he's he, he's 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 kind of like an evil bugs bunny. He's just very mischievous but at the same time he's brutal so he he likes to play around and but he also he's one of these characters that he knows he's evil. And he relishes in it. And what really helped me cement that there's a line that the, uh, the cat lady has in the film where it's, it's, it really sums up the character so well. It's like he does this because he thinks it's funny. Right. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's a great summation of his character because right there it shows that he is the anti-clown because clowns are here to bring amusement and joy and comfort to people. For their amusement. Art is here to bring misery and pain and suffering and madness to other people for his own selfish amusement.
1: So instantly that perception is flipped. You're turning it around. Yeah. Yeah. And that becomes a basis for you informing this character, right? Exactly. It's interesting you talking about that scene. It completely exemplifies the playfulness and this mean spirit streak we're talking about. It also establishes a lot in that scene. There's so much in that pizzeria scene we see. Could you talk about the space you had to explore his character in that scene specifically? Because there's a lot. There's a lot going for your mind. There's a lot we're seeing as an audience in that scene as well.
0: Oh yeah. It's like well, the the good thing was Damien gave me a lot of room to play. With that scene damien who's the director and, and creator and everything <laughs> right. yeah so he, he it was it was it's very you know it was a very comfortable experience for me because i was like okay here's freedom to experiment and play with this and see where we can go with things so i was able to do different takes and see how things worked and and So it's like, you know, just that whole just walking in and having that stare down with her. He's like, I don't want any expression on your face, nothing at all, until you start making the faces. So before that, you're just dead on staring at her, just creepy. And I kind of took um, reference for that from just what I've seen with people here in New York City on the subways. I've seen people just totally stare down my female friends like some creepy guy just staring at them. So that's a very real thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to bring that to him. To him there wow he's just he's trying to intimidate her and creep her out and then he just has that flip with you know where he's like okay i'm gonna go get this ring and propose to you <laughs> then he's like now i'm gonna go okay you fix up to the ring i'm gonna go poop now and destroy the the bathroom and then like of course he gets thrown out and he's like okay these people gotta die now they you know all of them gotta die especially like you know one of the catalysts there was Dawn sitting on his lap intruding upon his space after she had already been mocking him outside. So, I mean, he had already kind of set his targets on them anyway. Mm. But, like, then she goes to touch his hat. You don't touch the hat, you just don't. That's a bad, bad, bad thing to do. <laughs> don't touch the hat, don't touch his face, none of that. And she did both. And she's like, okay, this bitch's got to die. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that's where he put it in his head. It's like, okay, yeah, I ain't going to just mess around with these people as much as possible. And he was also saying that yeah, he 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 could easily do stuff to Dawn, but Terrors, she's a tough nut to crack. And he took that as a personal challenge. Right. He's like, I want to break her mentally. And that's what he does. That's why he drugs Dawn. So he gets his revenge on Dawn, but at the same time, he's trying to kill two birds with one stone, and make Tara crack. That's why he's got her tied up to a chair and making her watch all of this horrible thing that he's doing to her best friend right in front of her.
1: How many takes was that scene shot in?
0: Oh, gosh, so many. Because we we filmed that over a course of uh, several months because we had to film all the stuff with Jenna first because she had to leave us to go film uh, The Bye-Bye Man. Right. So we filmed her stuff in Trenton, New Jersey. and Then we had to leave that location for different reasons. So we filmed the stuff with Catherine in a totally different location in um, Staten Island, and we had two different nights of filming that. Uh, we had her, which was a in January here in New York, and it was about twenty degrees that night in a room that had no heat, and so that was miserable because we, you know, she's she's upside down naked. With blood all over her. So that's really uncomfortable. And in a room full of guys, even more uncomfortable. Yeah. And so we're trying to be as professional as possible. Trying to make her as comfortable as possible as well. And it's dangerous to have a human being hanging upside down for even more than a minute. So we were only filming it 30 seconds at a time. So that was very stressful. That was the one night on set. There was no goofing around at all because we knew how dangerous this stunt was to do. And we wanted to just get through it. So we did that. Thankfully, we got through without any real mishaps or anything like that. And then the next day we came back and filmed me actually cutting through the prosthetic that Damien had built. And that was a lot more fun. There was no stress involved with that. The only thing that sucked was the intestines we had used had been, we had we were supposed to film that scene uh, two weeks before, but there was flooding in the room, so we had to let that all drain out. And so our DP had taken the intestines home with him. It was just basically fat inside of uh, intestine in and in like pig, like hot dog, sausage casings. Oh, really? Yeah. and But, I mean, they look like intestines. But he had not put them in a refrigerator and just left them in his garage thinking the garage would be cold enough in the winter to keep them. And so we opened those things up, and then, oh, God, the smell coming from those things was atrocious. <laughs> it's a good thing we weren't running sound that night because you would just heard the whole entire crew just trying not to throw up the whole entire time. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it was fun until I accidentally cut through one of them and all this stuff just started leaking out and so the smell even got worse. It was just like, oh, God. Wow, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it was gross but funny at the same time. (laughs) What is wrong with you what did you think he was going to hack me up into little pieces or something we're usually there filming for hours and upon hours sometimes 20 hours day back to back for days on end so we're tired and we're usually in very very miserable conditions too because we're usually filming in the winter and so it's very cold and so it's it's i I try to use humor as much as possible just to keep things sane yeah (laughs) (laughs) because we're doing crazy things and we're tired and cranky and it's like especially in part two there's this one location we filmed at for a few weeks and it was not the most fun location to film in and our, our female lead was, you know, if you've seen the trailer, she's wearing a very skimpy Valkyrie costume for a good chunk of the film, and that's not comfortable. That thing was not fun for her to wear in the first place. Just, you know, it's it was held together with duct tape and wires basically, and then you couple that with being covered in blood and it's cold the whole entire time that was not fun so i i I wanted to keep things as light and fun as anything just to keep her spirits up especially because i mean she's she's going through hell and it's and it comes out in her acting she does a great job but it's like i i I don't like seeing people being actually miserable in real life i'm i'm the complete opposite of art i'm i'm a people pleaser (laughs) And so yeah, so the, the the humor helps me a lot there, and helps everybody else. But also from an audience standpoint, I think you know humor and horror go together like peanut butter and chocolate very well because you use that humor to put the audience at ease again, so you can hit them again with a good scare. Mm. So if you're you're constantly just doing back to back scares, or you're just doing just morbid, 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 it, it gets old very quickly, and I. It's, that's why I think like films like you know uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and Child's Play have worked so well because they have that great balance of humor and horror.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and it's something you manage to pull off in Terrifier.
0: Thank you. It, it's a hard, it's a hard line to walk because we, that's something we're always wanting to make sure we tread lightly on because we don't want to go too far into camp. Because you don't want to get too silly with things, and we'll do multiple takes of things, and like some of them are hysterically funny, but we're like, yeah, but that's too funny. <laughs> it's gonna take away from the scariness. So I was like, yeah, but you know, was like, but that's what we do. We we usually do different takes on scenes where like Damien's like, okay, I do it his way. It's like this because is really good with scary. I'm good with funny. That's why we we work so well together. Right. We, we, Complement each other that way. So he has his ideas about how things are really scary, and like let's do that. And he's like, okay, there's like Dave, now do your thing, because yeah, like let's just experiment and see what we can come up with. And that's led to some great moments that we didn't even have in the script. Like a great example of that is the um, where I flick the bird after I get stabbed in the foot. That was me just joking around on set and they caught it on film they're like oh because he had thought about art flicking the bird at one point but he's like yeah but that just seems too contrived but it just worked so organically in the moment it's like well we got to keep that in because it got the whole entire crew cracking up it's like well if you're getting the crew to laugh then that's good <laughs> it's a win-win situation right yeah
1: Well, you mentioned Damien. Can you share any standout conversations of, you know, being sat in a makeup chair for hours and bonding with Damien Leone that helped you to elevate your performance? What are you talking about? How is he helping you, you know, push where you're taking art?
0: Well, that's that's what I did on my first day in the chair with him. I was like, okay, explain art to me in full detail. Tell me everything. What's his background, blah, 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 blah. And at the time, he was like, you know, I really haven't thought all that through yet. And I'm like, that's cool. Okay, we'll come up with that stuff together. So that's what we do a lot in the chairs, just come up with, you know, his backstory and everything, you know, like what his motivations are and all that kind of stuff. So that's something we've come up with together, and it's we, we still do that kind of stuff. We're always spitballing ideas with each other, even for possible future films. We're like, hey, they got an idea for a kill. Let's do that. So that's that's always fun with him. It's like, plus we're always talking about other movies. He he and I are both big huge movie fans, and so we're always talking about other movies. And sometimes those conversations lead into things we can do with our own film. Mm. Can you give me an example of something? Oh gosh, Well, I mean a great example that even though you haven't seen it yet, it's like there's a lot of um. Influences from Nightmare on Elm Street, nice. uh, Dream Warriors in wow. Part Two of Terrifier. There's a big scene in there that's very much, very, very Nightmare on Elm Street oriented. And I mean, there there are even callbacks to that in the first film. I'm like the whole beginning of the film with me getting ready is a total homage to Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddie getting ready, and you see the scene of me just, you know. Dragging the blade along the glass, the window. That's, you know, an homage of Freddy dragging his claws across the walls, that, that scraping sound. And it's like, we do a lot of that. We're, we're always, because Dame is a huge horror fan, so he's put so many, like, homages to other horror characters and films in these movies. Were you asked to watch any other films from those, you know, time capsules
1: as a way to maintain a shared language for this sequel outside of Nightmare on Elm Street?
0: no not really because i i think it's damien already knew i was a movie fan anyway that right. i had watched a lot and sometimes he would mention a movie he's like oh god you gotta see this movie and so i'm like oh cool i'll go and watch it and i also just went back and even i, I still do this all the time I'm, I'm always going back and re-watching a lot of this old slasher films nice. just for inspiration but i don't just watch slasher films i i watch comedy videos i i've been doing a lot of just recently just for fun watching some clowning videos on uh youtube of some great physical clowns you know well-known clowns uh, like uh, dimitri and then of course uh emma kelly jr and all that and it's or a lot of the, the, the actors that have played clowns for Cirque du Soleil there's so so many great clowning acts out there that I, I'm like I just it gives me ideas and I'm always looking for new ideas because I, I, I'm a consummate learner and a consummate student and I am, I, I, there's always things I want to improve on. So I'm always looking for new ideas and new new source of inspiration
1: yeah. Yeah. So how do you think Terrifier continues to contribute a clarity about, you know, the clown in horror today?
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say that we definitely go further with Arts in that realm. <laughs> we but we also delve into him being supernatural. But we're not trying to yeah, we're, we're we fully embrace the supernatural aspect of art from the first opening seconds of *TerrorFyre*. Two, we acknowledge that because like that's something Damien just wanted to go ahead and nip in the bud because a lot of slashers don't do that. They try to put off acknowledging, oh, there's a supernatural aspect to the villain. But I'm like, you, you, if you you got to keep killing the villain and bringing them back. So we you have to explain how they keep coming back. It's like, well, we just fully embrace that and go with it from the very beginning of Terrifier 2. He's such a cold character. I wanted
1: to ask about any glimmers of an emotional availability in Terrifier 2 in terms of his backstory, you know, mm-hmm. and his transformation. Do we do we feel in
0: any way sympathy because of his backstory? No. No, that's something Damien expressly does not want. He does not want anybody to feel sorry for him. Because we've talked about, I had ideas for his origin and stuff like that in the past, and that's one thing Damien's like, I don't want people to feel sorry for him. I want this guy to be just evil incarnate. He's just
1: purely
0: rotten, just no redeemable quality at all to him. So like that whole scene with the the cat lady, you know, we intentionally try to make that a little bit weird and ambiguous there. It's like, did is he actually showing his softer side? Did she breach through to him or anything like that? But no, 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 no. He was he was doing that to prey on her own insecurities and because he, he saw that aspect of her that she's a very motherly figure and he's like, what's the easiest way to get this woman that's already terrified of me right now? How can I bring her in easily for a kill? And that's what he tries to appeal to is her motherly instincts. Right he's very manipulative that way and that's what i love about the guy he's he's oh, such a bastard but it's like and that's something with like yeah we just don't want people to feel sorry for we don't want people to think oh yeah he he was molested or bullied or anything like that and that's why he's this way it's like no i i like to think he just came out of the womb biting the umbilical cord and killing his mom <laughs> oh, it's like he is just an evil piece of crap wow I'm looking forward to
1: seeing this sequel. It's being described as an ultra-gory slasher. I was wondering oh, yes. how much <laughs> of a hands-on experience you had in terms of discussing how somebody dies and the actual execution behind some of the kills featured in this sequel.
0: Oh, I, I definitely had a lot more hands-on uh, 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 approaches to that this time around because when Damien wrote Terrifier 1, we didn't know each other. When he was writing Terrifier 2... We were constantly in contact with each other, coming up with ideas for kills. Like, I would come up with an idea, and it's like, okay, we're not going to do that, but you gave me some ideas for something else that we can do, and th- or vice versa. We'd just bounce ideas off each other constantly. And we were doing that even through the production of it. It's like, COVID actually helped us in a weird way, because... We had started filming one or two of the bigger kills, like the opening kill and the the, the, the kill everybody's going to talk about right before COVID happened here in New York, before we had to go into lockdown. But he had to take some time to build the prosthetics. Then we went to lockdown and was like, well, hell, we got all this time. Let's make use of it. So he went back to the drawing board. It's like, now that I have the time to build the prosthetics – I can really do what I want to do with this instead of having to worry about time constraints. So we scrapped what we had originally planned on doing, which would have been good enough, but we're like, let's just totally go the extra mile now that we have this time. And so he built these amazing, crazy, multiple prosthetics for this scene. And holy shit, <laughs> it's just, it's brutal. It's, it's basically a scene... About four or five minutes of me just mutilating somebody. Wow. <laughs> it, it's it originally was going to just take us like two days to film this. It took us about a week to film this scene. Wow. Because there's so many elements involved in it, and it just keeps going and going and going. And it's but the way he edits it, it doesn't get you know too much. Right. It's 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 so well edited. And gives the audience time to breathe, and then hit them again. You're like, "Oh God, it's so good, amazing, so good." But it's it's, and it, it, we were discussing all of this during the whole entire process. It's just like, okay, how how can we make this crazier? And what he he was even like, "What are things that make you cringe?" Mm. And I'm like, I told him some things, which I don't want to reveal here because we put them into the kill. Okay. And, and yeah, and it's like I it's like I, I knew it was gonna be brutal when I was even going, ah, oh, God, as soon as we cut, I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. But he's it's not just him and I having input. It's like he, he involves everybody on set, the other actors and also the crew members. He's like, if anybody has an idea, he's willing to hear it because it's, it's a team effort. It's not just his way or the highway. Of course, ultimately, he has final say. But if someone else has an idea, he's totally open to it. Because it's like, anything we can do to make the film even better, must do it. So it's a team collaboration. This is truly Definitely a, so, right. definitely so. Got it.
1: I gotta ask you about the process and how long that process takes for the makeup for art. You mentioned the effects mm-hmm. earlier. Let's talk about the effects and how art comes together.
0: Oh yeah, that's that's been an evolving process as well, because um, originally it took about four hours plus to put on the makeup because we're using a totally different makeup apparatus like um i originally had a a skull cap that i would wear too a bald cap and he would have to glue that down and paint it and everything like that and then he would the the mask that i wear is actually he he did a mold of my face but the mold just didn't come out looking as well as he wanted to go with so he, he's still using the, the, the mold made from Mike Gianelli's face. So he has to put a little bit more time making sure that it fits my face. Right. So he, he's very meticulous of gluing it to my face. And it's one big piece. And originally he did not pre-paint it. So he would have to paint my face white after he glued it. Then it would have to dry. Then he would have to do all the black detailing after that. So that took a long time and there was a gelatin mask too that we used for most of part 1 and part 2 which is annoying because it's very susceptible to liquids and so any amount of like drool or any like moisture that comes from my nose when it's cold and my nose starts running destroys the makeup and especially around the mouth area and i'm i do so much expression with my mouth especially with those teeth that I wear because they're, they're very big teeth and my mouth would get damaged very easily. And we would have, to, I would say I have to go back to triage to like fix my mouth, which would take another hour sometimes, which is annoying. But we recently switched to a foam latex mask, which now takes about an hour to put on and it comes off even easier and it does not fall apart. It stays. I don't have to go and keep getting my makeup reapplied and fixed and everything even like with any moisture. It just it, it holds up so much better it's lighter too. Only reason we didn't use it originally is because he needed a special oven to make that mask in because it's you have all these toxic fumes. But now he's figured that out so that's what we're using going forward and so much better. So it's just been an evolving process that we've been experimenting with for about five years now. I think about you
1: being sat in that chair for hours with Leone, and it's it must be it must occupy a weird place. In that on one end, you're preparing for this murder, and on the other end, you're yes. having this conversation, and it's almost like therapy.
0: it is for both of us, I think, too. (laughs) I I don't know how the poor guy does what he does because, you know, not only is he directing, he has to be there. He's usually the first person on set and the last person to leave set because he's got to do all the makeup and everything, not just mine. But he's got to do all the prosthetics for the other actors and stuff like that and remove them from them. And then he's got to make stuff for the next day. And so sometimes he's going multiple days of no sleep. Wow. And I, I think that's where we're both able to have our little therapy sessions with each other. It's just like yeah. we're, we're just we're, we're always checking in with each other and stuff like that. And I have to say that the man is amazing because I've worked with so many temperamental directors in the, the past where you would see them lose their shit over stuff that would happen on set. I can imagine. That pale in comparison to some of the setbacks we would sometimes have on set for us. I never once saw Damien lose it on set. Everybody else would lose it. I think this one location we filmed in broke basically every single person on that the cast and crew at one point. But Damien would just kind of go over to a corner and just put his head down for a second and like, okay, let's get back to work. Is so he would just internalize everything and just keep going. And so... I, I have to hand it to the guy. It's, he's he's a powerhouse cuz he writes it, directs it, you know, does all the practical effects, yeah. edits everything. It's he's a one-man army and it and he he does this because he loves it. There's a mastery within that, isn't there? Yeah.
1: When you think about these quirks and these nuances we've been talking about that you've developed since the first film, what would you say were some of the challenges in navigating art as a character
0: in this sequel? I really didn't see as many challenges this time around because I was so much more comfortable with the character. right? And I also saw Art is being more comfortable with himself. It's like this whole thing with him coming back from the dead. I think he has a new sort of confidence and arrogance about him. He's more cocksure. He's like, ah, oh, wow, I'm hard to kill. Okay, I can go even further. <laughs> so that's how I approached him. But I, I, I think the one thing that we were consciously trying to do is to keep moving forward, but also keep things in line with what, we had already done. We didn't want to jump the shark. We wanted to stay true to the character while still evolving him in a lot of ways. We wanted to stay true to him, and we didn't want to go too campy with things or too over the top. And we'd go over the top, like we have to keep that fine line there. Like, how 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 far is too far with this guy? And we would have takes where I. Like there's a, a take where I got hit from behind and I, I had this cartoonish reaction that everybody was just laughing their butts off at. You know, something I just did self you know, subconsciously. I was just like, that's just how I reacted. And Damon's like, Nope, can't do that. It's just too funny. Too funny. It's like that's at this point he wouldn't be funny. That's not him trying to be funny, this is him actually surprised. So <laughs> So those are the things we would do. It was like, okay, how how is, how, how, how do we stay true to him? Okay, in, in that moment, is he having a funny reaction to something now or is this actually a real reaction where he's actually scared or pissed? So, did you figure out what you're dressing up as tomorrow? He wants to dress up as a real guy who murdered nine people last year. Oh, you're not doing that. That's just a costume. I think that guy's still out there. What's up with you and this clown all of a sudden? You're like obsessed. They never found his body. What if he decides to come back here? I wouldn't worry about it. Wait a minute. Aren't you that guy from the costume shop?
1: Sir, what are you doing?
0: It wasn't me. He was covered in blood on his shirt and his hands when he got here. I'm telling you it was him, Ellie. Right down to the little black dot on the tip of his nose.
1: You're really weird, you know that?
0: (laughs) I believe him. About what? Something really bad's gonna happen tonight. No, I I know when Jonathan's lying, okay? I I could hear it in his voice. Something's... something's wrong.
1: Look, we're gonna have fun. Mm -hmm. Stress-free environment. Yep. Speaking of surprises, kids,
0: we have a very special guest with us today. All the way from Miles County, please welcome Art the Clown!
1: talked about the conditions in this sequel what can you tell me about the set pieces in this film
0: oh my gosh they're 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 bigger so much bigger we we um we we got to use some really good real life locations like uh the this one location is a big part of the film is in um philadelphia at this haunted house and it's that was great because like we didn't have to build anything that was all there and it works so well there's this one room especially it was like oh my gosh when we saw this room we're like we have to use this room we have to because it's a great homage to part one some aspects in there and we actually did some extra decorations in there they've kept in there and which is great and it's so that was great but uh we also were able to um upstate New York in the middle of nowhere Amish country of all places we uh, built a in in this it's not a barn per se like what you think of a barn but like this building that we were able to build a lot of sets in that so we didn't have to worry about destroying real life locations (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so like okay we can build this and we can do whatever we want to this room and not have to worry about repercussions and so that was kind of cool because we have one very big set piece that uh, we filmed right before the pandemic, when we went to lockdown, and we we're very very stressed about this scene because there's a very big set piece in the set, in, in the movie, and this is actually the scene that's very reminiscent of My, Nightmare on Elm Street, and we used a lot of our um, Andy Yogo backers for this scene, so we had a lot of fans on set that were extras in the movie for this scene we also had a lot of stunt actors too so this is a huge huge week-long scene that we're filming you know just so much fun it was and it was having those fans on set was a great recharge of the batteries for all of us because you know before that it was just uh, the, our, our small group of actors from the film and the, our, our crew members so we're like okay we're not really seeing the, th- this through the eyes of people that are actually the fans so right. it's like having those fans where like they breathe new life into everything for us so it's like oh wow they're so excited yeah, it's like that. That was that was really a great experience, and plus, it was like a last hurrah right before the world went insane. True, that's true. So that was it was insane because we had no idea all that was going on because we we're in the middle of nowhere. So we were kind right. of distanced for a week from what was going on in the real world. So that was a very you know slap in the face coming back to the city and seeing how much had changed. Like everything was like a ghost town in New York City, and I was like, whoa, what happened while we were gone? It was like. You know, the world ended and we came back to like you know, like post apocalypse type of thing. It's like, whoa, what the
1: <laughs> crazy, crazy times. Yeah. And the one thing I'm taking away from what you're telling me is that there's a definitive seismic shift in comparison to the first film. This is a oh, def- bigger film, right?
0: Oh, tenfold. Tenfold. <laughs> it's like this is definitely a much bigger film, more ambitious film and and it's bigger in length too i mean it's two hours and about two hours and 20 minutes long which is unheard of for a slasher film you don't have slasher film that we're probably one of the longest slashers yeah. ever released and it's i mean, i think the cut before that was about three hours it was just like we just this was so ambitious it's such a bigger story we're telling this time and we're doing bigger things with it and we we cut it down as much as possible, but if we cut it down any further, we would there would be so much lost, and so we we just can't do that. So we're like, you know what? Screw it. We're in a time where people are used to sitting through a three plus hour Marvel movie, or yeah, it's it's you know people sat through um, Midsummer, which is almost three hours long. So it's like, yeah, we're we're in a time where. A lot of stuff is streamed too, so if, if it's too long, you can go to the bathroom, take a break, pause it, come back, and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, yeah, the important thing is you keep the audience engaged, and that's what we do. It's like this is a constant roller coaster ride of a film. It's like we we have those lulls in there just so the audience can catch their breath, but it's not a lot of those. It's it's constantly just moving forward you you have art story and you have sienna our new protagonist story happening at the same time until they finally intersect and collide and that's when things really just go full out crazy for the last third of the film the last maybe about 45 minutes once that part stops it does not stop until after the credits roll
1: Love that. Love that. Well, you talked about the fans. Yep. Do you have any plans for a director's
0: cut? Has that been discussed, a director's cut? I, I, I don't know. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I would love to see what all he cut out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of shtick that I did that he had. A, you know, we knew we were going to cut a lot of my shtick because I was just doing different takes just to see, you know, it's like, let's just experiment here and see right. what all we can use. There's there's scenes that he specifically wrote in the script that were like the pizzeria scene where he's like, but this time he's like, he didn't even write what goes on the scene. He's like, we're just going to discover that when we get on set and see what we have in the environment to work with. And so I just played around and we would just film me playing around with my environment. And so we have so many multiple takes of me just messing around with everything around me and having fun so it's like of course we knew we couldn't use all those takes but it's like yeah so i would like to see that kind of stuff released on the you know at least on like extras you know deleted scenes and stuff like that it's like oh yeah let's art just you know plays around <laughs> yeah and i mean experiment experimentation is usually
1: where yeah. and when the best artist made isn't it so
0: it, it really is, no pun intended.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it premieres at Fright Fest over here, of course, in the UK this month. Yes. It opens in theaters stateside this Halloween season. What's the yes. future for distribution? I mean, the last one, of course, dropped on Netflix. I'm
0: hearing echoes of
1: uh, uh, distribution on screen Boxes. Is that
0: right? Yes, that is correct. We, we have a deal already made with Screenbox, so they have... Uh, first distribution and first rights distribution and the screening and all that kind of stuff. So we're gonna have like a limited run, I think, in theaters. Like I, I think they're doing like maybe the Fathom events and stuff like that. They're they're parsing out all those details right now, but I, I, I think they're talking about having at least in five hundred theaters. And which is great. That's that's something we wanted but didn't even expect going into this. So that's awesome. But you know, of course, you know, streaming. And who knows after that, you know, we'll we'll just see what the demand is.